0: bibles turn over to Luke chapter 2 I refuse to give Satan any more credit for messing up the sound system I said that a while back ago and I got to thinking about that afterwards and so he's not in the sound system Technology just messes up. Maybe it's a part of the curse. <laughs> so we're not going to give him any more credit for that. Maybe he'll leave it alone if he, he is a part of it. <laughs> uh, we have several people that are out sick right now. So y'all please be praying for our congregation. Just by show of hands, how many of you have had this sickness that have gone around in the last three weeks? A few? Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, everybody knows what's going on. I do have a special request for you. I don't see him. I think they've already... Or Barbara, did Walter leave? He must be in the back. Y'all pray for Wal- Walter. Uh, he is uh, having knee surgery. Um, in, is it Tennessee, Barbara? Is it Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah. So y'all be praying for him. He will be out for probably a couple months. Uh, He's one of our deacons, uh, and uh, we just need to be praying for him and his wife as they're away from us. We're going to miss them. So let's pray for them, okay? Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for your word and your grace to us. We pray that today we will learn from you and from your word. And that we will be encouraged to walk with you faithfully and to trust you with our lives. God, you are so good to us. Uh, We do pray also for Walter and his surgery. We pray for the doctors to have wisdom and for this surgery to go well. And for him to recover quickly so he can come back to us and be a part of our body here, Lord. Uh, We're going to miss them. We pray that you will watch over them and their travels. We thank you, Father, for your grace in our life. We need you, and we ask, Lord, that you use us for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are in Luke chapter 2. Many of you thought you might be getting away from the Christmas story, but you're not. Matter of fact, you're not going to get away from the Christmas story for uh, probably a couple months, and that's okay. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing because we need to really look at what the word says about the arrival of the king. The arrival of our king is found in Luke chapter 2. As you go over there and you find your way into the Bible, I want you to think about what it's like when a famous leader shows up on the scene. Whenever a famous leader travels to another country, uh, for example, if President Obama went over to uh, Russia or went over to Britain, what would happen is, is all of their people would have a special greeting party for them. Often they would line a big or roll out a big red carpet for the president. And as soon as he walked off the way, he would show up and every all kinds of fanfare would be there. They would play music. They would have their guards. They would have their finest people out there dressed up in uniforms and showing off their royalty or their best for the king or the president that's arrived. It would be the best display all in honor of that dignitary that showed up. When we think of the arrival of the greatest king to ever come on This planet to ever show up, this would probably be not what we would expect. When we read Luke chapter 2, it goes totally contrary to what we as humans would think of the greatest king's arrival ever. And when we look at Luke chapter 2, I hope you notice the simplicity of it. When I say simplicity, it's not, it doesn't come with great pomp and circumstance. It's just a story of a baby being born. Let's look as we look at our passage in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1 to 7. We'll go ahead and read it now. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. That a census be taken of all the inhabitants of earth. This was the first census taken... While Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph went, also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Here we see up to this point, Luke in Luke, we've been examining the lead-up to the arrival of Jesus. We've seen prophecy and the birth of the forerunner, John the Baptist. We've seen the miraculous announcement of the Christ's arrival. And last week, we were introduced briefly to Jesus in Zacharias' announcement. We saw the grace of God came accompanied by some difficulties Mary endured. This week I want to spend our time examining the king's arrival. Again, the arrival of the king. The king like no king ever. He came on the scene in the most unsuspecting way. But he was and is the greatest king ever born. Today we're going to look at three aspects of his kingship, his rulership. As we look at these three aspects of his kingship, we should be moved to respond appropriately to his position as king. Let me simplify what I'm saying here. If you understand that he's king, you must act like he's your king. (laughs) If you know that he's your king, you must respond to him as your king. Do you act like he is your king? If you know who he is, you will respond appropriately. Jesus summarized it this way. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. (laughs) Real simple. If you know the king, you will obey him. So let's look at the king. We will look at three aspects of Jesus' kingship here. First, I want you to notice the real sovereign king. The real sovereign king. We'll talk about this in a second. The promised Davidic king. The promised Davidic king. And third, the humble servant king. Knowing these three aspects of Jesus should motivate all of us to respond appropriately to him as our king. So let's look at these three aspects of Christ's kingship so that we will respond correctly to our king. The first aspect, notice in verses 1 through 3, the real sovereign king. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Look in your Bibles again. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius, I said it 50,000 times right, and then I get up here and I can't say it. Quirinius, I, I messed up too. I looked at the Greek word and said it several times in Greek, and that's different than in English. So that just makes it worse, but that's okay. Corinius, got it, was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now, there are two rulers revealed in this setting for the coming of the king, Jesus. These two were well known in their world. The first one's Caesar Augustus. Notice there it says that. This was the most powerful man in the known world. He was the king over all the lesser kings in the Roman Empire. The original name of Caesar Augustus was Octavian. Octavian. Octavian had come to power after a struggle with two other Roman rulers. There was actually after Julius Caesar, there were three emperors that they set up at one time, three. Well, eventually, Octavian took over the other two rulers. One of them got hooked up with a Egyptian lady, Cleopatra, and that led to his downfall. Fall. But Octavian became the ruler over all rulers. He became the Caesar Augustus in 27 B.C., that is, Before Christ Augustus means literally Majestic or highly revered one In other words his name says This one is to be highly revered He is majestic And again he took this name on when? After Now there's some irony here In the way that Luke's writing (laughs) He brings up Caesar Augustus The highly revered one And in a sense, we see the very first three verses are all about Caesar's decrees. And it's in the story of who? The arrival of Jesus. He takes the forerunner or the forefront. He's like the one that's being talked about the most. But it's interesting. Luke is bringing out something very intriguing, and we'll get to it in a minute, that it's really not about Caesar Augustus, the highly revered one. It's really about God. We'll talk about it in a second. Augustus was known as the emperor of peace. He was the one that brought peace to an area or Rome that was in turmoil. Now, this did not mean that all the rulers under Caesar were nice and kind people. Matter of fact, many of them were evil. As you know well, Herod the great the one that had all the two-year-olds and under killed, as the Matthew account talks about, was under Caesar Augustus. But Caesar as a whole was known as an emperor of peace. Caesar here wasn't ruthless, but he did make a decree. What's a decree? It's literally, the Greek word is where we get our word dogma from. He made a declaration that must happen. When the Caesar made a decree, it had to happen. And what was his decree? You must go and get registered for the census. You must go and get counted. Why? Did he just want to know how many people were in the area? No. He was like all good politicians. He wanted money. He wanted taxes. (laughs) He wanted the people to register so he could get taxes from them. If he knew how, how many people were there, he would know how much he should be bringing in and whether he should be getting money. So he had everybody go back to their hometown and register so he could get taxes. That was his purpose. That was his reason for the census. I've got a nice little map here I want you to notice. I'll give you a, let's see. I'm going to try to do this, it's kind of strange, but the other, way. the other way. But then I can't point, okay. Here we go, you ready? All the way around this whole area, you can't read down here in the bottom. But all of this, even the, the, the lighter colored, all of this, almost all of this was the Roman Empire by the time Augustus was in power. That's a huge area that includes all of Italy today and all of Greece. This is Turkey, and here is Jerusalem and Israel. So all of that area was under the control of one man, Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in all the land and all the earth. And when he spoke a decree from Rome here, he said one thing, Everybody gets counted. It happened. He made the decree in 8 BC roughly. That was 8 BC. Now, I do want to make a little side note here. Most of us when we see the the when we hear 8 BC, we think 8 years before Christ, correct? Well, That's not true. (laughs) The calendar was started much later. Not right at zero. They didn't say, okay, today we're going to start calling this zero. Jesus was born. The calendar was made later. And unfortunately, the people that started the calendar messed it up. Because the reality is, is Jesus was born before B.C. or zero, (laughs) He was literally born around 6 B.C. or 5 B.C. in that area, not on zero. So when you see your calendar and you think today is 2010, right? 2010 years after Christ was born, right? No. It's really 2016 or 2015, somewhere in there. So now you know a little bit about your calendar. They messed it up. (laughs) All of it because of politics, and we won't get into all that. (laughs) The reality is, is 8 BC, Caesar makes this decree. Go to your city and be counted. But this little, whoa, whoa, wrong button. Hold on. Go back there. Or Judah. This area was run by somebody else. It was run by Herod the Great. Okay? The one that had the babies killed. Remember? And this area, a little bit above it, see it's Syria, this area was run by this guy Quinarius, or Quirinius rather. Quirinius. And you know what? They didn't want to take a census of the Jews. You know why? You know why they didn't want to take a census? Anyway, it was because they knew the Jews didn't like it. They didn't like to be counted. Remember, they had been counted once before, and it got them in trouble, didn't it? David counted everybody, and that was a judgment, remember? The Jews hated to be counted. Don't count us! <laughs> and so they wouldn't do it. Even though Caesar made the decree, count them. In 8 BC, they wouldn't do it right away. And so it took years later, a matter of fact, five, three or four years later, until finally Corinius said, what? Do it. You know one of the reasons why? Because Herod fell out of favor with Caesar. Caesar was letting it go. But Herod, man, he was so bad. Herod was the one, again, that had all the children killed. Okay? This is what Caesar said about Herod. He said, it's better to be Caesar's pig than to be his son. The reason why was because Herod was a wicked man. He had his own children killed because he was afraid that they would take his throne. So Caesar said, that's it. Do it anyway. He wasn't afraid of letting the Jews get a little bit angry with Herod. And so that's why it waited a little bit of time before Corinius finally said, leave Syria, leave this area, and go back to your homeland and get counted. Now, at first glance... You look at that and you say, well, why, why was it this way? We'll talk about it in a second. The second ruler is Quirinius. Like I said, he was governing the area of Syria, the northern part. That's where Nazareth was. We'll see that on the map here. And right here we see that's the area. And right there where that star is, that's Nazareth. That's where they were living, Joseph and Mary. Okay? Corinna said, okay, it's time. Go. We can't stall any longer. Go. Get counted. And so Mary and Joseph left. As we know these two men, we, we must understand. Caesar Augustus and Corinna. When we're reading this chapter in Luke 2, chapter 1 the reader would have understood this concept. Oh yeah, that's the whole problem with the census The first census, oh yeah, I remember all this. This was the time when the governments were trying to get us all counted. And it seemed like everything was in haywire. And the rulers didn't want it to happen, but they went ahead and did it. The reader would understand that. You don't understand it when you read it the first time, do you? You don't know all that background. <laughs> But as we study the Bible and understand its context, we get it. Now listen closely. Get this. If you're reading this and you're looking at this, you're saying in your mind, and you understand the background, you're saying in your mind, wow, all these events at the time look like chaos. One guy's saying it must happen. Another guy procrastinated and finally said, it will happen. Yet, at the very same time, who is really working? Who is really sovereign? Who is really working through all these events? That's what Luke 2 shows us. That at the very exact time, Jesus arrives on the scene. Why did Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem? Because God had decreed it. Did you get this? God had decreed it. (laughs) Not Caesar. God worked through these men to accomplish his plan. And that's what we see in this beautiful unfolding. When you read it, you go, well, all these events are happening. But God is still in control. The true sovereign king worked through these two men... To accomplish his will. A decree by Caesar was ultimately used to bring the Messiah down to Bethlehem. In fact, Caesar was not the king. He was the pawn. He wasn't the one ultimately in control. God was. And though it seems so simplistic And it's so important for you to get this. This is a beautiful picture of the sovereign hand of God. How God works in the sovereignty. In his sovereignty. He's in control of everything. How? If you look at events, you say Caesar did it. But then you remember Quirinius did it. But then you must understand No, God was in control. Though all these events are happening and all these decrees are happening, ultimately, who's in control? God. Why is that important for me and you? Why do we need to know this? Well, because I don't know about you, but if you watch the stock market or you see a vote passed, In Congress that you don't like or you see an election happen that you don't like or you do like or you get this sense of wow this is going great or wow this is falling apart you need to realize God's in control ultimately not all these events that are happening These men are working, but God is in control and He's working through these events. And He did the same thing at the arrival of His Son. Everything is going just according to plan. God worked to accomplish His sovereign decrees through human leaders. And often the leaders were clueless of the plan. Do you think Caesar knew what He was doing? No! Think about it! The king's showing up on the scene! The greatest king ever! And Caesar says, I think I'll send the royal family to Bethlehem. Make a decree. The royal family has to go to Bethlehem because that's where the Messiah is going to come from. No. He's thinking, I need taxes. <laughs> go down and be counted. Clueless. But God's in control. The Messiah goes to Bethlehem. And that's where he's born. I love this verse. Guys, write it down. This is a memory verse. This is a new thing we're going to start this this year. My prayer is, is that I'll give you, every week, one or two scriptures for you to memorize. I want you to put these in your head and I want you to memorize them during the week. I want you to talk to your children about them. So every week, I want you to take one or two scriptures and put them in your heads and meditate on them. Look at Proverbs 2, one. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You think Caesar woke up one day and said, I'm going to have a census thing. It was the first one that he had decreed. Why? God turned the heart of the king to accomplish his will. And he worked through it despite all the cluelessness of Caesar. A couple of application points for us to think on here. We can see God uses various men to accomplish his will. He used Quirinius and he used Caesar. And he can use all of our leaders too. Don't think that the world's out of control. It's not. God is sovereign. He's the king. He's in control of everything. Second, the world's perspective on events does not necessarily reveal what's really going on. Now, I want you to listen. What do I mean by this? Think about this for a second. If we were to do a a poll in here, and we asked everybody in this room, how is our president doing, and what direction is our country going, okay? You know, they do these polls all the time. And you see them, right? Right? And they post them up. Well, such and such amount of people say go this way. Such and such amount of people say that way. And it's going good or it's going bad. Guess what? It doesn't doesn't matter what your poll thinks. Ultimately, God's in control. Listen. Is the world... Falling apart. Is it? Is the world all of a sudden just going to blow up? Are we going to have a nuclear catastrophe where everybody blows everybody up? Well, that's not the way the Bible describes the end times. And God's the one that knows the beginning and the end. And declared the end from the beginning. He said, "What the end's going to look like before the it even happened?" He's sovereign. We're not going to blow each other's up. By the way, sorry, but we're not going to have another great ice age, and all the planets going to be froze to death. It's not going to happen or burn up. It's not going to happen. You know why? The Bible says what's going to happen. God's in control. Now, is the world cursed? Yes. And are bad things going to get bad? Yes. And as bad as it gets, though, God is still in control. He's sovereign. Quit worrying. Trust the Lord. He worked it out perfectly on the arrival of his son and showed what? He's the real sovereign king. The second aspect of his kingship here. Jesus is the promised Davidic king. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. Jesus was Israel's king. He was the Jewish king. The promised king from David's line. Here we see he came from Galilee. Notice it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee. Galilee was a part of the territory of the northern tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes. Remember the 12 sons of Jacob. The 10 tribes to the north. Galilee was in the northern part of Israel. It had been resettled by many other Jewish people from various tribes. Jewish tribes. Jewish tribes. But the Messiah of Israel was not supposed to come from that area. He wasn't supposed to come from there. The prophet Micah, listen to this, over 400 years before, said the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, which is not in Galilee, it's in the south, Judea area. He would come from the south 400 years before. So you think Caesar was reading his Bible? <laughs> he said, we got to move the northern people to the southern part of the country. No! <laughs> but God ordained it and decreed it. And where did they go? They moved south. Nazareth was part of Galilee. And it wasn't a wealthy place. It was an outcast city. And it was in the northern part. They moved to Judea the region of Judea is included in the area given to the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the two southern tribes. This was the, for lack of a better term, the godly southern tribes that had been taken captive in Bab- by Babylon in 5, ah, I forgot the date, 586 586 BC but then had returned to that area and they moved. They went all the way to the city of David. This is where David had come from. Named what? Bethlehem. Bethlehem is. It, it literally the name means a place of bread. In the whole in the Hebrew Old Testament, the one and only was going to come from Bethlehem. But most importantly, Jesus was pointed to in the prophet Micah, as mentioned in 5.2. Look at your Bibles, Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem, 400 years before, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, real small. From you, one will go forth for me, to, ruler, to be ruler in Israel. This was made 400 years before. A child would come and would be ruler over Israel. Who is this? This is Jesus. This is the Messiah 400 years before. So let's look at these locations real briefly. That's Israel, ladies and gentlemen. If you see the blue here blue down here is the Dead Sea. It's a good thing our interpreter has gone to seminary. And up here we have the Sea of Galilee, the northern part. And then over to the left is Nazareth, right? And then way down here is Jerusalem and below it is Bethlehem. Okay? And here we go. That's where it started. That's where where, uh, Mary was visited, okay? And that's where she became pregnant. That's where God put Jesus in her, all right? They would travel south. Now Now, I don't know about you, but if I were picking a travel way, I would go what? The shortest distance between two places is what? Straight. Why did they go that way? Not straight down. Well, it's because of this area right here. This is Samaria. The Samaritans live there. And the Jews couldn't be caught dead there. (laughs) Don't go that way. So they would literally go out of their way to go down to Jerusalem. So it made the trip even longer. But all good Jewish people would do this to stay away from the Samaritans. Do you understand? Because they were unclean. They were part of the northern tribes that had gotten together with non-believers or non-Jewish people. And so stay away from them. So here we have Jewish people wanting to stick to the law. Most likely went around the area to get out of the way. Passed by Jerusalem on the way to the little area called Bethlehem. Just a... Short, a small little town. Why does it say, though, look at your Bibles real closely. Why does it say, look at verse 4. Look at it real closely. Joseph also went up from Galilee. Went up from Galilee. Everybody look at the map. That's north. That's south. Okay, there's a contradiction in the Bible. He went down. He didn't go up. Come on, he went down the planet. He didn't go up the planet, right? Is there a contradiction in the Bible? No. If you look really closely, this map you'll have to look afterwards. But if you look very closely, this area right here, Are mountains and everything's done perfectly in the Bible if you look mountains if you're down here in Nazareth it is low when they went up to Jerusalem they would have been going up mountains to get to the top it was a higher elevation so that's not a contradiction in your Bible That's the perfect way of explaining it. If you're reading your Bible and you say, I don't understand. Why is it sometimes a person says, he went up to Jericho. And then he went down to, or he went up to Jerusalem. How can you go up and up? Well, because it's going up and up. It's going higher elevation. There's always an understand. There's always a reason for your biblical passages. You just got to study them. But even more important than all of that is, we've got this beautiful picture of God fulfilling His promises, bringing the Messiah to Bethlehem, to the house and family of David. In First Samuel seventeen twelve, it says, "Now David was the son of." of the Epaphrathite of Bethlehem in Judah whose name was Jesse. This was David's father. He was from that area. Remember, and then later on Micah says Bethlehem, Ephrathah." That's where it will come from. Then, look also at 2 Samuel 7, 16. Talking to David, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me Forever. Your throne will be established forever. Talking about David. Talking about a son to come. And then Psalm 89, 36. His descendants shall endure forever. And his throne as the son before me. Now, who was ruling on the throne at this time in the Judea area, in Judah area? Anybody want to? Give us an answer. Who was in control or who was the king of that area? Herod. But he wasn't from the throne of David. Who was really ruling? One from the throne of David. Right down the street, just a little ways away from Jerusalem, there was a king that arrived. And his throne was established forever. That king was Jesus. (laughs) Oh, Jesus arrived at the perfect time. At the exact moment that the Bible had said, From you, Bethlehem, one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. So what can we get from this? God does not need us to accomplish his plan. Praise the Lord. He doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. He is gracious enough to use us. Praise the Lord, right? How many of you in here are valuable? That's a trick question. That's a trick question. You are valuable? Yes. In our own eyes? (laughs) Ultimately, God doesn't need us he can raise up rocks. He can make rocks come alive. He doesn't need us. His grace, and by his grace, he chooses to use us. Praise the Lord. He doesn't need me. If I were to die this week, maybe it'll happen. If it is, I go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Because of Christ. But, he can raise somebody else up. He doesn't need God accomplishes his will for his glory by grace. And God often uses the clueless to still accomplish his things. He uses us even though we really don't even understand it half the time. Praise the Lord, isn't that great? You aren't going to mess up God's plan. Did you hear me? You're not going to do it. Oh, but I made a mistake, and I went the wrong way, and I just blew the whole plan up. No. No. There's consequences for your actions, yes. But that was part of God's plan, too. Often the consequences are what? Part of the teaching process, ladies and gentlemen, to help us. He is the promise-keeping sovereign God. He's the king who can be truly trusted. Notice lastly, he is the humble servant king. In verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the days were complete for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here we see the arrival of the king. Now, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. This is far from how we would expect an arrival for a king, correct? If you were writing the story, if you were writing it, is this how you would have wrote the arrival of your king? Would you have done it? No. But God's plans are different. His thoughts are different than ours. The plan of God was for the Son to come to the earth in the least likely place and circumstances. The least likely. This is so typical of Jesus' life and his ministry. He did not come with pomp and circumstances. He didn't have it, a big band playing, he's here, he's here, he's here. All the people didn't come out. And roll out a red carpet for him. In fact, he passed by Jerusalem, the big grand city. And stayed in a small little town, Bethlehem. And he didn't get the nicest house there either. He stayed and was born in a stable. Again, with a hint of irony here. Luke... Mentions, the days were completed for his birth. The fulfillment. It was going exactly as God had planned. It was the fulfillment of God's plan. It wasn't an accident the way that Jesus was laid in a manger. Do you all hear me, folks? Do you hear me? He wasn't in the, he wasn't in the feeding trough. Oh, that innkeeper really blew it. That innkeeper, oh, he should have had him come stay in his own bedroom. He blew it. No, that was part of the plan. Laid in a feeding trough. He came to a place where cattle were stored. Not a king's court just down the road in Jerusalem. He was wrapped in cloths. Not given the king's wardrobe like Herod the Great had. He was laid in a feeding trough, not given a cradle, a king's cradle. He was the humble servant king, even at his birth. And it was all according to God's plan, perfectly. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said this? I don't deserve to be treated this way. This isn't fair. I deserve better. That's not how a Christian should treat me. Have you ever said any of those comments before? Have you ever complained in your heart about your circumstances? Have you ever said, oh, I don't like this, the way this is going, working out for me? This just isn't really good. Ladies and gentlemen, if there was ever somebody that could have complained about his circumstances and demanded better, it would have been the Messiah. It could have been the Messiah's mother. What's going on? Come on. I don't deserve this. Fact of the matter is, she didn't deserve good, but the Messiah did. Right? Jesus was perfect. This was the God man. And what did he get? feeding trough to lay in I was talking to my children about this and they said oh I'd like to have been laid in a place with a bunch of animals I'd like to hang out in the stable that'd be great yeah that'd be great for about one night let's review animals don't take baths they stink It isn't a pleasant place to hang out. The biggest complaint about this morning, let's see if everybody agrees, it was too cold. Well, I wonder what the stables were like at night in Israel in the higher elevation. Cold. This ain't fair. Stinking animals in a feeding trough, cold, no place in the end. And that's where our Messiah came for us. No more complaining. We're back to it again, huh? No reason to complain. Jesus deserved better. It wasn't fair. He didn't deserve this treatment, but he endured it anyway. And you say, well, he was a baby. He didn't know any better. Uh, Wait a second. Who was he before he became a baby? God. God knows everything, (laughs) He's in control and ordained the beginning or the end from the beginning do you think the son knew oh yeah the son knew he was God wait 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 don't put me there (laughs) come on father holy spirit come on put me in a king's bed no no I get the feeding trough in the perfect triune relationship with the God they knew what was the best way to demonstrate God's grace that's what it's about they showed God's character by the Messiah being laid in a feeding trough you just, do you get this Our king came and did the opposite of what the world thinks. He did not come to be served, but to serve. Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. One commentator puts it so well. It cannot be emphasized too strongly that our Lord was not, was that, that he was born in a stable and was laid down in a manger. That is a feeding trough. you got to emphasize this. If you get this, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, if you get this. If you get this, you will stop complaining. You will be thankful for what you have. Because he did this. For you, Christ did it for us. Notice 2 Corinthians eight nine says this is the second verse I want you to memorize. For you know that the great, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, God, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Oh, this is great truth. The unmerited favor of God towards us who believe. So we read the Christmas story. We understand that God is totally sovereign over all events. Even the kings that look like they're in control. We saw that he keeps his promises and did it exactly the way that he said. 400, 1,000, 1200 years before and we saw he was humble in his service of us now now let me ask you a question let me ask you a question if Christ did all of this for you is there any reason why we shouldn't obey him this week Is there any reason in this world, if you have sin in your life, that you shouldn't repent, forsake it, and commit to him? If he's the sovereign king, he's the promise-keeping king, and he's the humble servant king for you, is there any reason why we should disobey him this week? I can't stress this enough, ladies and gentlemen. One of the biggest problems in pulpits is this, across America. Do this, do that, do this, do that. If you do this, your family life will be better. If you do this, your children will grow up to be great. If you do this, everything will be great. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And yet, the reason for doing it is left out. You know the Ten Commandments. You know the rules of the Bible. You know how I know? Because if I do something wrong in front of you, you can point it out to me. You're really good at it. And so am I. The question is. Do you know. The one. Who is telling you. To do this. Do you understand. This gracious savior. Do you understand. What he sacrificed you the king became a baby and was put in a feeding trough is there any reason you should avoid obeying him there isn't let's obey him this week Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are sovereign.